0: You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Open your Bibles to Acts 13, verses 32 through 39. That's where we're going to be this morning. Acts 13, 32 through 39. Um, We're going to spend this Easter Sunday talking about the significance of the resurrection, uh, which is fitting. Um, So I'll I'll go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness and the redemption that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the good news of the resurrection, showing that that the check cleared, showing that Jesus really did pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross. Lord, help help us to celebrate the good news of the resurrection well as a church uh, family together this morning. But I pray that we would uh, respond to that good news with grateful hearts, with joy, uh, and, and with worship, Lord. Uh, give us the desire and the ability to do so by our Holy Spirit at work within us, and help us to be propelled out of here on mission, uh, excited to preach the gospel with boldness that more sinners would come to know you through faith in Jesus and be saved. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Acts 13, verses 32 through 39. Um, to give us a little bit of context before we jump into the actual passage, um, this is Paul preaching in the synagogue uh, at Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, we're not going to cover everything uh, going on in this passage for our purposes here this morning, so if you've got questions, uh, I'm glad to talk after the service if there's things we didn't touch on. Um, That said, let's jump into our text. So starting in verse 32 through 37 of Acts 13, it says this, and we bring you the good news that what Jesus or that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. In short... Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior that the people of God were promised, which is gloriously displayed in the resurrection, which fulfilled a number of messianic prophecies, a few of which Paul references here. That kind of sets us up for this passage. You know, as I mentioned uh, in, in the opening prayer, um, the, the resurrection of Christ was the receipt showing that the check cleared. We've talked about that illustration before, right? Showing that, that Jesus really did pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross. Well, here's another illustration. The resurrection of Jesus is also a certificate of authenticity. Is Jesus really the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting for? Yes. For he is risen in fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Amen? Does that make sense? Paul then highlights a few messianic prophecies that were fulfilled in the resurrection, starting with Psalm 2, verse 7, which he quotes in verse 33. 33. So I'll read verse 32 and 33 again. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, just to understand this passage properly, not that Jesus wasn't already the Son of God before, before that, and, and somehow became the Son of God at the resurrection. No, that's not true, for Jesus has eternally existed as the Son of God. If you got more questions about that, talk to me later but instead that the resurrection, this is what what Paul's getting at here, was a public declaration that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and the Savior that we've been waiting for. Does that make sense? So it's not as if Jesus wasn't already the Son of God before that and somehow became the Son of God at the resurrection, for Jesus has eternally existed as the Son of God, but the resurrection was a public declaration that Jesus is indeed the Son of God And the Savior that we've been waiting for. The resurrection was uh, God, in essence, saying, Hey, if you've missed all of the other signs up to this point, this is my guy. (laughs) This is the Son of God and the Savior that you've been waiting for. That's what the resurrection is. I'm making it nice and obvious for you by raising him from the dead in fulfillment of messianic prophecy. This is the guy. The Son of God and the Savior that you've been waiting for. Now, uh, we don't have time to get into this in detail, (laughs) Uh, but in short, I thought this was helpful to kind of unpack so we understand this. In short, the link between the Son of God and the Messiah makes more sense when you realize a couple of things. The link between those two concepts, like why is Paul highlighting this here, uh, so, again, we don't have time to go into, into this in detail, but in short, the link between the Son of God and the Messiah makes more sense when you, you realize two things I want to highlight. One, the Son of God is a messianic title. The Son of God is a messianic title. We actually see this when we look at the rest of Psalm 2 and see that His anointed, i.e. the anointed one, another word for that, Messiah, right? That's what the Messiah. the word Messiah means. In Psalm 2, we see that his anointed, i.e. the Messiah, and my God's son referred to the same person in Psalm 2. So we're seeing there that the, the son of God is a messianic title, right? The, the anointed, his anointed, the anointed one, the Messiah, and God's son refer to the same person in Psalm 2. That's highlighting the son of God is a messianic title. Secondly, the son of God is a title that highlights the deity of Jesus, i.e. That, that Jesus is fully God. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's helpful. It's kind of silly, but it helps wrap our minds around it. Um, the son of a duck is a what? A duck, right? <laughs> i.e. the son of God is who? God, right? That's the idea. This is why, by the way, in John nineteen seven, it says that the Jews answered him, him being Pilate, we have a law and according to that law, he being Jesus ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. In other words, they were seeking to put Jesus to death for blasphemy. Why? Well, because they rightly understood that in claiming to be the son of God, Jesus was claiming to be of the same nature as God, i.e. to be God himself. Do you see that? Does that make sense? And there are a number of Messianic prophecies pointing to the fact that the Messiah would be both fully God and fully man. Uh, For example, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, which we don't have time to get into this morning, but that's a prime example of what I'm talking about. There's There's a number of Messianic prophecies pointing to the fact that the Messiah would be both fully God and fully man. All that to say, okay, I thought that would just be a helpful primer to understand what the link is there between the Messiah and the Son of God. All that to say, Paul is saying that the resurrection is a fulfillment of Psalm 2-7 in that it's a public declaration that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and the Messiah, the the Savior that we've been waiting for. Paul then moves on to Isaiah 55-3, which he references in verse 34, which says this, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead... No more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, this one's admittedly a little harder to see the connection to the resurrection with. (laughs) Like how exactly is this connected to the resurrection? But I believe this is a reference to, as the New American Commentary puts it, God's promise that he would establish in his descendant, in, in David's descendant, an eternal throne a kingdom that would last forever. And they reference 2 Samuel seven thirteen and 16. They go on to say in, in that commentary, but God's promise was not fulfilled in David, who did not himself enjoy an eternal reign, right? As we'll see in a minute, David died and saw corruption. In other words, decay, right? He died and stayed dead, Right? He did not enjoy, David did not enjoy an eternal reign. Jesus, on the other hand, was raised from the dead, showing that nothing could stop his reign, not even death. Amen? Does that make sense? And that his reign would be eternal, i.e. that he's the descendant of David, whose reign and whose kingdom would last forever. To give you an illustration, like the significance of this, every other king's reign in David's line including David's, had ended in death, right? And their hope of a reign that that never ends along with it. So when Jesus dies, what wrong conclusion could we come to? Oh, that's it, right? Guess it wasn't him. Guess he wasn't the guy, right? That could be a wrong conclusion we could come to. What about when he's risen? (laughs) Oh, Game on, right? He's the guy. Like, that's exactly Paul's point. I believe that's exactly Paul's point here. The resurrection of Jesus was a fulfillment of Isaiah 55.3 in that it was a public declaration that Jesus is the descendant of David whose reign and whose kingdom would have no end because even death could not hold him. Amen? Paul then moves on to Psalm 16.10 which he references in verse 35. So let's look at verse 35 through verse 37, which says this. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. In other words, these words couldn't ultimately have been about David. Because David died and saw corruption, i.e. decay, right? The Holy One here in Psalm 1610 is ultimately the Messiah, the Anointed One. That's what the word Messiah means. Whom God is saying in this messianic prophecy he would not let see corruption, decay, right? Well, that wasn't true of David, (laughs) Because David died and saw corruption, decay, right? But who was that true of? Say it with me now, class. Jesus, right? I always enjoyed doing that to you guys. I don't know why. It's just (laughs) funny. It's funny to me, right? This is true of Jesus who, who died but was raised on the third day and did not see corruption, decay, right? Paul says as much in verse 37 but he whom God raised up, i.e. Jesus, did not see corruption, decay, right? Paul says as much. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is a fulfillment of Psalm 1610 in that Jesus died but was raised on the third day and did not see corruption, decay, right? Which along with his fulfillment of Psalm 27, and Isaiah 55, three point to one thing. And that's Jesus is the Messiah, the savior that we've been waiting for. Amen. Which is exactly where Paul goes in verses 38 and 39, starting in 38, which says this, let it be known to you, therefore brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In other words, the forgiveness of sins is offered to us in Jesus. How? Because of his perfect life and sacrificial death in our place. Because he lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death to pay for all of our sins in full, in his death on the cross, in our place. Right? And as we talked about, I I love this illustration. It just helps us wrap our head around it. His his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is the receipt showing that the check cleared. That Jesus really did pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross. Again, church, happy Easter. (laughs) And how do we receive the forgiveness of sins that's offered to us in Jesus? Through faith in him, right? Right? Which brings us to verse 39. That's exactly where Paul goes next. (laughs) It says this, "And, And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In other words, because of Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death in our place, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses, as Paul says. Namely, from the penalty of our sin. Hell, which is what our sin deserves, right? Which is hinted at in the word freed here, the word that's translated freed, which could also be translated justified, (laughs) i.e. declared righteous before God. So because of Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death in our place... Everyone who believes in him is declared righteous before God and saved from the penalty they deserve. Because Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death are counted to us. How? Through faith in him. Amen? Right? This is what theologians call the great exchange that Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death to pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross, in our place, that through faith in him, we could be declared righteous before God and saved from the penalty we deserve. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf and took all of our sins onto himself and paid for them in full in his death on the cross on our behalf, both of which are counted to us through faith in him. Our sins are counted to him and he paid for them in full in his death on the cross. His righteousness is counted to us, both of which are through faith in him. Amen. Does that make sense? We see this in 2 Corinthians 5 21, which says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. All of which is by grace alone. It's completely undeserved through faith in Christ alone and not church by works. Amen. We've talked about this before, but God's law, the the three classic uses of God's law that theologians talk about, God's law is a curb, it's a mirror, and it's a guide. It's a curb, basically helping restrain us from going further, like, hey, here's the line, don't keep going, right? It's a mirror showing us, here's where you fall short of of how you ought to live, right? Here's right and wrong in God's law, now look at yourself, (laughs) right? How do I fall short of that? A lot, right? Um, And it's a guide. It's showing us this is the right and wrong thing to do. This is what right and wrong is, right? So again, God's law is a curb. It's a mirror. It's a guide, but not a savior. Amen. It shows us our need for a savior, but it can't save us. It shows us that we're worthy of hell, but can't save us from it. That's why in in verse 39, Paul says, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law is meant, God's law is meant to drive us to our savior, Jesus, but it can't save us. The proper response to the mirror of God's law is faith in Jesus, not faith trying to justify ourselves with it, which won't work. (laughs) I've used this silly illustration before, but I find it helpful. When we use God's law that way to try to justify ourselves, that's like trying to use a model car to drive us to the airport. It has a purpose, a model car, but that ain't it. (laughs) That's not it. And that's not going to work. Amen, right? So examine yourself and ask, Am I living accordingly? Is the mirror of God's law driving me to Christ like it ought to? If you don't yet know Christ this morning, respond to the mirror of God's law, showing you where you fall short of it and your need for a savior. Respond to the mirror of God's law properly with faith in Christ if you don't yet know Christ this morning. If you do know Christ this morning, is the mirror of God's law still driving you to Christ like it ought to? Or have you gotten off track and is some part of you trying to justify yourself with it? If so, church, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, all of that said... How do we respond to this text? How do we respond to this text? Four things I want to leave you guys with as we close. Number one, examine yourself and ask, do I know Christ this morning? Examine yourself and ask, do I know Christ this morning? Have you reckoned with what the resurrection says about who Jesus really is? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting for. Again, that the the resurrection of Christ is a certificate of authenticity, showing that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting for, for he is risen in fulfillment of messianic prophecy. If not, if you don't have true saving faith in Christ this morning, look to Christ by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time. Because as we've talked about many times, I've used this illustration a lot, right? Right? The, the free gift of salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus is a limited time offer. And like many limited time offers, we don't know how much time we have left, right? One day, the McRib is just gone, right? <laughs> there it went, right? Right, like many limited time offers, we don't know how much time we have left. None of us know how much time we have left before either we die or Christ returns, and then it's too late, Amen. And this would frankly be a bad deal to miss out on. (laughs) The free gift of salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus. So look to Christ by faith that you'd be saved while there's still time. Amen? Secondly, if so, if you do know Christ this morning, do our lives reflect these beautiful truths like they ought to? (laughs) That the resurrection is a certificate of authenticity, showing that Jesus really is the Messiah, the, the Savior that we've been waiting for. Again, for he has risen in fulfillment of messianic prophecy. And that Jesus' resurrection is the receipt, showing that the check cleared, that Jesus really did pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross in our place. And that the resurrection resurrection of Jesus is a public declaration that Jesus is the descendant of David whose reign and whose kingdom will have no end. That as Paul says in verses 38 and 39, through this man, Jesus, because of his perfect life and sacrificial death in our place, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Again, namely, from the penalty of our sin. Hell, which is what our sin deserves. Church, do our lives reflect the joy, the hope, the peace, the gratitude, the worship, and so forth befitting of these truths. If we're honest as sinners, we know the answer to that question has to be no, at least to some extent. Amen, right? Can we be honest about that? So wherever that's the case, church, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Go proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus to a world, again, that desperately needs to hear it. That by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, as it says in verse 39, again, namely from the penalty of our sin, hell Go proclaim that good news, that that more and more sinners would look to Christ by faith and be saved while there's still time. To return to our illustration from last week, that more and more sinners would be saved from the burning building that is unbelief before it collapses. And wherever we're failing to preach the gospel, with that level of urgency, church, let's repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly and lastly, we talk about this all the time, but again, it's it's always a good reminder. Wherever we fall short in any of the areas we talked about this morning, remember that in Christ we're forgiven, in Christ we're declared righteous, and in Christ we're empowered to change. In Christ, we're forgiven. Christ took all of our sins onto himself and paid for them in full in his death on the cross in our place that we'd be forgiven of all of our sins through faith in him, including whatever sins we feel convicted about this morning. Amen? In Christ, we're declared righteous. Christ fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf, including in whatever areas we were rightly convicted about this morning that through faith in him, we'd be counted perfectly righteous before God. And in Christ, we're empowered to change via the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us, empowering us to walk in newness of life. Remember those beautiful gospel truths wherever you fall short, church. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you that the resurrection is the receipt showing that the check cleared, showing that Jesus really did pay for all of our sins in full in his death on the cross. We thank you and we praise you for that beautiful news. We thank you that the the resurrection is a certificate of authenticity, showing that Jesus really is the Messiah, the savior that we've been waiting for. We thank you for that beautiful truth and that good news about the resurrection as well. Lord, help us to respond to you with grateful hearts this morning as we continue to worship uh, the rest of this morning as a church family. Help us to, to worship with gratitude and with joy in light of the good news of the resurrection this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.